Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you today. Hope you're doing well. Uh, did that extra hour of sleep help you at all? Like extra hour of beauty sleep? Because I think some of us in this room need a little extra beauty in our sleep. Anyway, it's good to get that extra hour. Um, at any rate, sure good to see you today. And if you're visiting with us today and you're a high-tech redneck, because we are sort of high-tech rednecks here, there is a QR code in the bulletin. We'd love for you to scan that. And uh, just if you scroll down to the bottom of the webpage that comes up, uh, there's a connection card, and you can fill that out. Just let us know that you worship with us today. We're not going to bother you. We're not going to harass you. We just want to know that you were here. And if you're visiting with us online, and if you've never done that before, we'd love to have you do that as well. The QR code's on your screen. Uh, a few announcements to make. Um, again, it is that time of year for Operation Christmas Child, and our Women of the Word got us off to a really good head start. 122 boxes have already been packed. And uh, is this correct, Barbara? There's empty boxes in the foyer? Okay. There are empty boxes in the foyer ready for packing. Um, maybe you're like my family. We wind up packing boxes online. We just pay to have somebody else do it. We add it to our account, but at any rate. Uh, so make sure you fill um, your boxes no later than November 13th. Have them here. We'll dedicate them uh, next week in our worship service. I uh, did want to say thank you, church family, for your kind generosity for Pastor Appreciation Sunday. And, and I'm going to look you. I don't want to read this as, a, as an announcement. Truly is a pleasure to serve you, to be your pastor. And I uh, love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for your generosity. And pray that God does richly pour out his blessings upon you. Uh, we are going to have a Centricids silent auction fundraiser on December 3rd and 4th. And if you would like to make or donate something for the auction, uh, just make sure you get in touch with Jerry. Um, and so um, the hours will be determined later. Just make sure you connect with Jerry. And, and then at our last business meeting, you may not be aware of this, but our last business meeting, the church created a building fund to begin saving for updates and repairs. So if you'd like to donate to that fund, just designate that on your check or put it in an envelope and write building fund on the front. Also, two weeks from today, uh, we will have our Thanksgiving meal uh, and our Lord's Supper service. Uh, so we'll do that during the morning worship service uh, together. It'll be a, a service completely around the Lord's Supper. It won't be an addition or attachment. It'll be all about the Lord's Supper. And then after we're done, then we'll go over to the fellowship hall and have a meal together. Um, if you have any, Marcia, do I need to pass along any instructions? All right, church is providing the meat. You just bring banana pudding. I mean, whatever whatever you think is appropriate. What? Yeah, the church is providing the meat and several people will do the dressing. Okay, several people will do the dressing. Okay. If you have questions about it, you can always talk to Marsha. Uh, and then next Sunday is our November business meeting. That's uh, at 630, and the agenda is posted on the foyer, on the bulletin board in the foyer. If you have a business item that you need to get added to the agenda, and please make sure you speak uh, with me before Wednesday. Are there any other announcements we need to make? Oh, yeah, there's, um, I didn't get one in my deal, but that's fine. Um, you may have gotten, you, you should have gotten an insert in your bulletin, and it is about opportunities for service this Christmas. Uh, one has to do with Thanksgiving. One has to do with uh, Santa's helpers. Uh, and if you're interested in taking part in that, just make sure um, you, I guess, come see Marsha. Okay. Um, so anything else needs to be said about that, Marsha? Okay. All right. Any other announcements we need to make? 
All right, well, if you would please stand and we will say together our call to worship. We'll read all of this together. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Let's worship together. get him on turn to page 335 335 we'll sing first second and last Just opposite page 334. Y'all may be seated.
we're, I've already mentioned it earlier, it's that time of the year with Operation Christmas Child Boxes. You know what's about to come next, it's a video. And uh, just look and see how one Christmas box changed a kid's life. Um, and someone who's no longer a kid anymore, but this is really gonna touch your heart. Um, so, hope you enjoy this. The river behind me is the Suriname River. And the Suriname River brings us where the, the Sarmakans people are. Operation Christmas Child have to use a boat and the boxes in the boat and travel up to the river. It is very difficult to reach those people. Partnering with the local churches in Suriname can bring the gospel to children in unreached places, such as the Saramakans. It is important that we support the local churches. For these churches, we equip them, and then we provide the shoeboxes, which is a gospel opportunity. And so we use the shoebox gift as an opportunity to get into these communities and share the message of Christ with the children. I am one of the Saramakan. Uh, I born a Saramakan. I also received Christ. Christ changed my life. He gave me a future. I care about them. I want to see that they also uh, find what I have, Christ in me. And that's what I want to also, that Christ will be also in them. A shoebox is a tangible expression of God's love because these children, most of them have never received a gift. And so receiving a gift box for the first time really demonstrates the love that God has for them through those who are partnering with the ministry and those of us who travel there, they see God's love through this gift of a shoebox. The shoebox gift has opened the door, they spread the news, there's an Operation Christmas Child activity. After that outreach event, we take the step by step how they can uh, get friends with Jesus. I like to teach the greatest journey because someone did it for me. So if someone did not, I would never know about Jesus. My vision for the Salamakan tribe is that we will share the gospel and to establish a host church here so that they also can receive the, the, the blessing of Christ. Romans 15, 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You may have noticed this morning that the offering plates weren't back there, they're, they're up here. 
we're going to take an offering this morning. It feels like it's been a really long time since we've done that. So if we can have our ushers come forward at this time to receive the offering. And we're going to go ahead and, and sing and receive the offering at the same time. Y'all don't have to look at them unless you want to. Okay. <laughs> it's been a while since we've done this. Um, at any rate, uh, we're going to sing the next song while we receive the offering. Um, so um, just know that that's probably how we're going to do it from this point forward just for the sake of, of time. But it also gives us an opportunity to give back to the Lord. So would you please bow with me as I say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, you have blessed us in so uh, many incredible ways. Uh, we thank you that um, you're the giver of, of all good things. You are the father of lights. We thank you for material blessings, for the blessings of fellowship, for the blessings of salvation. And Lord, as we turn our hearts to worship you with our possessions, I pray that we do so uh, with a glad heart, uh, rejoicing, uh, giving cheerfully because that's the kind of giver you love. Lord, we pray that, that what is received would be used for your glory, for the advancement of the gospel and your kingdom uh, as far as um, there is need. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Was anyone surprised that we sang 448? <laughs> James and Denise are both sick, and so pray for them. Uh, Joel, who normally fills in for us, was out of town. So we use folks that we knew were tried and true, and uh, so we're grateful and thankful for Larry and Barbara. And when I called Larry, I said, now we can sing 448 if you'll pitch in. He's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. So thanks to Larry and, and Barbara for doing that. If you would, please take your copy of God's Word, turn to the book of First Peter, First Peter chapter 5. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one around you in the pew somewhere. It's black, hardback. If you'll turn to the back, find page 183. We're currently in a sermon series called His Glorious Grace. It comes from um, that phrase you'll find in Ephesians 1, where it's talking about uh, the great salvation that God worked for His saints through Christ Jesus and how He did it all for His glorious grace. This title, the subtitle is Taking Hold of Sufficient Grace. Last Sunday we started talking about how to take hold of sufficient grace and I knew there was going to be a part two because there was just more that needed to be said. Um, So we'll have Taking Hold of Sufficient Grace part two this morning. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? This is 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 5 through 7 and this is God's word. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word, uh, for the, the milk that it is, the meat that it is for us thankful that um, it nourishes us, it it strengthens us, it gives us power for living. We pray, God, that today, uh, with such a a wonderful, beautiful text, uh, that the time we spend together would give it its due, that you would be honored and glorified, uh, that the power that's available to us as believers uh, would just overshadow us as we consider how do we take hold of sufficient grace. So, Father, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law. And we will be careful to give all glory and honor to you. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as I said, we are in a second week of taking hold of sufficient grace. Um, Two weeks ago, I preached a sermon on God's all-sufficient grace. It was where Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 was told by God, um, I know Paul, and I'm paraphrasing here, Paul, I know you've prayed three times to have this thorn removed, but... um, you're not, I'm not going to remove it. Uh, I'm gonna, you're going to have it. And, and through it, you're going to experience my all-sufficient grace. You're going to know that my power is made perfect in weakness, that my grace is sufficient for you. Um, and we kind of left it there. But I think in, in these, these two sermons, last week and this week, what I'm aiming to do is to help us to understand that you, know, you can preach, you can talk about God's grace and, and you can talk about how glorious it is, how beautiful it is, how wonderful it is, how it's taking care of our salvation, how it is, is equipping us and serving us, um, empowering us to walk in grace and sanctification. Uh, but how do we take hold of it? You know, when we're in the midst of suffering, like these people that, to whom Peter is writing, how do we take hold of sufficient grace? Well, last week I, talked, I introduced to you a term called means of grace. Means of grace. Uh, now, a means of grace is simply, just to say it 
in as simple a way as I can. It's God's delivery system of grace. It's how he has designed to get grace from him to you. And so last week we talked about two means of grace. One of those was God's word, his promises. And as we, as we take a hold of those promises, believe that they are ours, we take hold of God's all-sufficient grace. The second one that I mentioned to you was prayer. And, and I know that that's a place where perhaps all of us struggle. But it is a God-ordained way that He, from on high, gives you His all-sufficient grace. And so I'm going to continue kind of in that vein of, of means of grace. What are two other ways that God gives His people grace? His, his conduits, His channels, His means of grace. And... Um, it's going to take me a minute to get to the first one, but there's two, and I'll just reveal them as we go through. But um, as, as we look at this text, there's, there's a, uh, five things I want to draw attention to as we look at these two uh, means of grace in this particular text. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is in verse 5. It's, it's God's principle. Now here in verse 5, you notice Peter says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, when I say this is a principle, what I mean is it's a foundational statement from which I'm going to, the rest of the sermon's going to kind of build, especially uh, this next point, next two points. Um, And so there is a principle, a foundational statement. In verse 5, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Well, there's some words there we probably should... Dissect a little bit. Let's look at those uh, because we don't we we want to make sure that we don't assume what the word proud means and the, what what the word humble means. We don't want to bring our meanings to the text. Now I think we have a pretty good understanding of what proud is. It just simply means you're filled with pride. You have this unwarranted high confidence in yourself. Now pride can have a connotative a, a, a positive connotation in that. You know, someone, you go to their house, and it's just a complete mess. And you might ask them, don't you take any pride in yourself? So there's a positive connotation there. There's also a negative connotation, where a person has this unhealthy, elevated view of one's self, abilities, or possessions. Some, some synonyms, we might say, are arrogant. Someone is haughty. They have their nose up in the air. They're, they're, they have their snoot up in the air. They're, they're contemptuous. They look down on other people who are not as, as, as high and lofty as, as them. When I was thinking about an Old Testament example to bring to mind, I thought about Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. You remember, um, God was trying to humble Nebuchadnezzar. There was a point where Nebuchadnezzar looked out over all of his kingdom and he basically pat himself on the back and said, look at me, look what I did. He was overcome with pride. And I'm going to tell you this and I may be stepping in it and and so be it. I kind of think COVID put human pride on display through our nation's officials. There was a lot of, I know what I'm talking about and you just need to close your mouth and you just need to listen. Now, take that for what it is. That's my personal thought. That, and, and even to this day, there are people that, that made wrong decisions who won't say, yeah, I made a wrong decision. 
Now they're going to stay up on their high horse on their perch. But God opposes the proud. When it says God opposes the proud, I want to flesh that out just a little bit. It involves not only this attitude, but it's a corresponding behavior. It means to be hostile toward, to show hostility toward. Now think back to the the example from Daniel I gave to you about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had already been told, you you, you, you are too proud. And if you continue to walk in pride, God will humble you. And so he goes out and he looks and he, at all that he had done. And he just pat himself on the back and said, look at me. And then after that, he lost his mind. His hair grew out. His fingernails and toenails grew out. He ate grass like a cow. Because God opposes the proud. The, the, the root of that word, if you kind of trace it back through its usage in not only New Testament, but but previous Greek usage, it actually has a meaning that that says to set against in battle formation. So another way to say that is if you are proud, God, you've just ginned up a fight because God opposes the proud. He's active in opposition to the proud. Remember, Peter's writing to believers. Why do I need to remind you of that? Because I want to reinforce this. Peter is saying God opposes the proud and he's telling that to believers. Why would would God be active in opposition against believers? Well, one, for his glory. He wants all the glory. He deserves all the glory. But not only that, God does this. He opposes the proud for their good. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar came back to his senses, the first thing he did was he blessed the Most High God. He understood his place after that. He understood that God was the glorious one and that God had had given him this time to be out of his mind for his good. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, humility... It can refer to a state of being where somebody is, is like low in social rank or they don't have much economically, financially. Uh, and so in this sense, humility is really the opposite of importance or wealth. But then humility can also refer to this virtue that involves a person having a, a modest view of themselves. In this sense, it's the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of arrogance. It's someone considering themselves to be lonely, not lonely, lowly, undistinguished, and common. To put it in terms of how we stand before God, it's recognizing that He's creator, I am creature. That's what it means to be humble. And so as God opposes the proud, He then recognizes the humble and gives grace to them. Now again, we're not talking about grace in terms of God's unmerited favor that He gives to sinners in salvation. We're talking about grace in terms of the power that God gives through His Word, through the Spirit, to live the Christian life. It's the power that God gives. Remember, Paul told the people at Philippi, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Where do they get the power to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. It's not in them, although they have to muster up all the power that they can muster to do that. 
The real power comes from grace. God's grace. So this is the principle. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And God's principle leads to God's prescription. God's prescription. His prescription is in verses 6 and 7. He says, first, humble yourselves. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore. All right, so, and I, I read therefore. You might think, well, that's odd that you read therefore. Because the principle in verse 5 is connected to the prescription in verse 6. So because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, therefore, humble yourselves. Remember, Peter is writing to persecuted believers. People that aren't on easy street. They're not in a cakewalk. It is difficult. They are like stories we have heard in the Old Testament. They're like Daniel in the lion's den. Now, did Daniel try to fight his way out of his situation? No. He humbled himself before the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were told that when all these instruments play, if you don't fall down and worship this idol, you're going to get thrown in the fiery furnace. They didn't try to fight their way out of it. They said, if you throw us in there, fine. Our God will take care of us. And if he doesn't, we are not going to bow to your statue. They humbled themselves before God. You think about Paul and his thorn. God said, I'm not going to remove it from you. What does he do in that instance? Does he fight against God? We can't because God opposes the proud. Those who fight against him, they bring on a fight. Think about Christ in Gethsemane. If there's anybody who could have, who really could have said, God, I, please take this from me. Be Christ. No one has suffered like our Savior has. But he said, not my will, but yours be done, Father. He humbled himself in that situation. He submitted himself to God in the midst of circumstances. I'll give you another example from the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29. You know, we, we love to quote Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. Amen. But do you realize when that was written? It was written to people who were in exile. And they weren't humbling themselves to the Lord in the midst of their circumstances. They had been brought into exile and the priests were telling them and the prophets were telling them, hey, we're not going to be here long. Won't be here long. So, so don't worry about it. Before long, God's going to bring us out. And Jeremiah said, no, 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 no. That's not, what, that's not what God's saying. Here's what God says. He says, build houses. Plant gardens. Give your sons and daughters in marriage. Have sons and daughters. Seek the welfare of the city, and pray for it. What? But, but this, is the, this is a terrible situation. We're not in Jerusalem. We are in exile. God says, I know. Humble yourselves in this situation. And notice in verse, verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty head of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. There is in this verse a contrast between Humble and exalt. Peter does that on purpose. We are to put ourselves low before the Lord. And He will raise us up. See, oftentimes, 
I'm guilty of this and I, I suspect you are too. When there are times we should humble ourselves before the Lord in the circumstances because he, he gives grace to the humble, we want instead to be God and to, to fix our situation. We want to, to figure it out. We want to work it out because this is not what we deserve. I, I, I deserve better. Do you, do you hear the pride kind of kind of sneaking up over your shoulder and whispering in your ear? You know, you don't really deserve this. You should, you should fix this. God really doesn't want you to humble yourself in this situation. That's not true. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And so here's the means of grace I want to point out to you. And remember, it's God's delivery system for, for grace. It's the ordinary ways He gives grace to believers. We've talked about God's Word. We've talked about prayer. And now, a means of grace whereby God will deliver His grace to you is humbling yourself. Submitting yourself to God in tough times. And that's easier said than done. So how do we do that? How do we humble ourselves, uh, therefore, under the mighty hand of God? Well, he tells us, Peter does, in verse 7, we humble ourselves by casting all our anxieties on him. Humble yourself by casting all your anxieties on him. That word for cast means take it off of me and transfer it to God. Don't try to carry it anymore. How often do we want to, okay, God, I'm going to give it to you, but then I want to carry this and I want to help you figure out. Peter says, those things that are weighing you down, these, these folks that Peter's writing to, they're undergoing persecution. They may be anxious about where their next meal comes from. They may be anxious about their children. They may be anxious about losing a job. There's any number of things they may be anxious about. And God says to them, Humble yourselves in this situation. Everything you're anxious about, cast it on me. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. <clears throat> he will never permit the righteous to be moved. Another way of explaining cast is, casting all your anxieties is to think of it this way. Put upon Him, upon God, all responsibility for your cares and anxieties. Or, think of it this way, make God responsible for all your worries. Now, why, why would we want to do that? Why would we want to cast all our anxieties? What would, what would motivate us to do that? Well, we know that God is committed to His glory. He wants to be glorified in our lives. He wants to be glorified in your life. He does. He wants to be glorified in your life. So when you cast all your anxieties on Him, you're asking Him, Lord, be glorified in my life. And then also when you cast your anxieties on Him, you're saying, Lord, I trust that You are the good God You say You are. So I'm going to cast my anxieties on You, not only so You will get glory through me, so th but also so You can do in me things that I never would have anticipated. Things that are good in ways I would have thought good was down here, God, but you blew the roof off this way. So 
one means of grace that I want to talk about today, or want to impress to us from this text, is just humbling ourselves before God. Casting all our anxieties on Him. That is a means of grace. And we cast all our anxieties on God's power. Verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Under the mighty hand of God. Now that is a term, if you do a search, uh, like if you were to go online to Blue Letter Bible or someplace like that, and do a search for that, that term, mighty hand of God, you would find it in relation to one particular incident in the life of Israel. And that is the exodus. Now you'll find it also mentioned in Deuteronomy because this is where Moses is talking to the people before they go into the promised land, trying to remind them of who their God is for them. He is a powerful God. He led you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He proved that He was mighty. Remember Moses coming up to the burning bush? Part of God's mighty hand on display. God told Moses, you're going to be my spokesperson to Pharaoh. He says, I stumble and I fumble. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you Aaron. And then he and Aaron went to Pharaoh. They had a staff. Took the staff and threw it down in front of Pharaoh. It became a snake. He reached down and picked it up. It became a staff again. He took his hand and stuck it inside his cloak. And when he brought it out, it was leprous. And when he stuck it back in, it came out just as clean as it could be. The mighty hand of God. And then when Pharaoh would not listen, God put plague after plague, demonstrating his mighty hand over all of these gods that Israel, I'm sorry, Egypt thought they relied upon. God, one by one, before the Egyptian people, demonstrated His mighty hand through these plagues. And then finally, when God let, I'm sorry, when Pharaoh let God's people go, God parted the Red Sea. All of this happened under God's mighty hand. But you know, Israel forgot God's mighty such a sad story when you think about it. They began to grumble over food and water as if the God who just parted the Red Sea and they walked on dry land couldn't give them the food and water they needed. They even got to a point where they said, you know, things might be better in Egypt. Maybe we should just go home. In effect, they were saying, what advantage do we have being God's people? What advantage is ours? He brought us out here only to kill us. And then you think of the 12 spies that were sent into Canaan. They had witnessed God's mighty hand. But 10 of them said, no, we can't do this. Nope, they are too big. They are too powerful. They have too many weapons. They have all these fortresses. We cannot do it. You just saw God lead you out with a mighty hand. But no, they forgot. So because of that, God's mighty hand turned against His people. Through the judges, remember that season of the judges where uh, the people would, would uh, they'd be walking with God and then, then they'd begin to fall, fall away and they would worship other gods and, and God would put them under judgment and that judge would be raised up and they would repent and they would, no, that, that's God's putting his, God putting his mighty hand against his people. He even put his mighty hand against his people in exile using two of the most powerful nations on earth at the time in His hand to bring judgment upon His people. So, and, and then, 
in, in Ezekiel. God's mighty hand is mentioned a couple of times. Now, why would the people want to know? Because in Ezekiel, they're, they're in exile. Why would they want to hear about God's mighty hand? So that when God says, I'm going to bring you out from exile, they'll be reminded God's mighty hand will do it. So that they might think as we do, as we can, that under the mighty hand of God, there's no power of hell. There is no scheme of man that will prevail over God's mighty hand. The nations, they will rage. Satan will scheme. God's enemies will come at God's people with every weapon in their arsenal. But each and every one of them will tremble in fear at the mighty hand of God. I want to give you some some homework. Go home today. And when you need to be reminded that you are under the mighty hand of God as a believer, read Psalm 18. And look what God does. how How He demonstrates His mighty hand when people call on Him. So we cast our anxieties on on God's power, but we also cast our anxieties on God's providence. Verses 6 and 7 speak about God's providence. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. We use the word providence, and I want to make sure define it a little bit. It's God interacting with His creation, operating in all that comes to pass, Directing all things so that they achieve an appointed end. It's God, and specifically related to us as believers, it's God preserving and governing all things for His saints. So we we rest in God's providence. Peter says, at the proper time. When God decides, when, when, when God, when it is the right time, when it is the proper time, a time of God's choosing, the right occasion for a particular event, God will act. And how does He act? It's at the end of verse 6. He will exalt you. He will lift you up. Again, that's that's the the end goal of humbling yourself before the Lord in your circumstances, realizing that He will give you grace and He will exalt you at the proper time. Now, at the proper time, it could be talking about everyday circumstances that God could just, um, at, at a time of His choosing, He could step into your circumstances and do something um, to alter things for your good. But it also could mean, at the, prop, the, at the proper time could also mean at the end of all things, the end of all, all days, of all times, the consummation of all things. And, and when you think about that, if I, if I have to wait that long, can I, can I wait that long under these circumstances? Well, we've got to remember, we're trusting God's power. We're trusting in His providence. And we're trusting in the fact that God cares for you. You and I really are truly important to God. We're in an election season. I cannot wait for Wednesday when there are no more election commercials. I don't like those campaign commercials because they, these people, they, they present themselves, and, and I don't want you to hear me just judging the folks that are, that are running. It's, it's more of a, 
they'll come across in their ads as, you know, you really are important to me. What is it you need? You know, I feel like I understand you and the things that you need. And I want you to know that when I get elected to whatever it is, you really will still be important to me. And then we hear stories of people who go and they, they begin to serve in whatever capacity they go to serve in. And, and it's almost like they forget where they came from. They forget all the promises they made. You know, they got too much other stuff going on, you know. Is it that way with God? He's got too many other things going on. You know, cast all your anxieties on Him. He cares for you, but when He gets around to it, no. God really, truly cares for you. You are important to Him. So we humble ourselves as a means of grace before God and we trust in His power and His providence. And that leads us to the final means of grace. And I want to ask this question. So we humble ourselves before God. We trust in His power and providence. And you may ask the question, how do I do that? How is it that I do that? And God provides believers another means of grace. And it's God's people. It's in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, Paul, I'm sorry, Peter mentions two groups of people to whom there is uh, an an attitude of humility. One is, excuse me, the elders, God's appointed shepherds of his church. Now, why? Be subject to the elders. Well, elders must be able to teach. Not just the doctrines of the faith, but practical instruction for how to live the Christian life. Elders are to be people who have experiential knowledge. Someone that you could go to and you could say... How do I humble myself before God in this situation? And when you go to someone like an elder and ask, how do I humble myself before God in this situation? You hope you're not talking to a paid spokesperson, but to a satisfied customer. You understand the difference? I really do use the product. A paid spokesman, they don't have to use the product. Satisfied customer, they say, I I put this into practice. I like it. I know how to use it. Elders, they must be able to do that. They must be able, from their own personal experience, be able not only to teach the doctrines of the faith, but how to live the Christian life. Notice it says there, and I know that Peter has contextualized this, likewise you who are younger be subject to the elders, but there is in here a general principle. It's submitting to God's authority by submitting to God's authority in the church. It's receiving the guidance of those who are more mature in the faith, who have been set aside by God's people, God's call to be a shepherd and to receive their guidance and to welcome their admonishment and correction and whatever wisdom they share with you to put it into practice. See, these people aren't meant to be the higher-ups. They're to be people who are with the sheep, helping to guide. They're means of grace. But then also notice that Peter says in verse six, verse 5, 
Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. See, that's another group that God gives to believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says, The members have the same care for one another. Paul is saying we should all be looking to see how can we care for each other. How can I minister the Word of God to you? How can I pray for you? How can I walk with you? Can I tell you of a time where God was so good to me, where He ministered His grace to me in this situation? Can I help you walk through this? But you know, we can't do any of these things unless we humble ourselves before one another. That's why Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. I want you to think about a couple of situations and how being humble in those situations could help. A guy begins an emotional affair with another woman who isn't his wife. It leads to a physical affair. In the end, it leads to a divorce. No one knew. The guy didn't ask for help from church friends early on. When, when, it, when it would have been easier to stop what was going to happen. The wife, the man's wife, she didn't want to deal with the shame of asking for help from church friends. Second situation. A woman begins having a glass of wine to help her unwind from a long day. She discovers that her husband won't really listen to her and meet her needs. One glass becomes two glasses. And then she turns to pills to take the edge off of things. Because she's hurting. Now, you ask her and she'll say, she's not an addict. But no one knew about the pain she was going through. Let's consider how one another ministry in the church could have changed these two situations. A guy begins an emotional affair with another woman and a church friend notices the guy at lunch with the other woman. Later he asks the guy about the lunch date. And the guy opens up to his church friend about how the other woman listens to him. It's like like she gets me. But the church friend begins a long process of walking with the guy, praying with him and for him, ministering God's word to him without pulling any punches. And the guy, because of the grace given to him, breaks off the emotional affair. He confesses to his wife, he repents, and he begins marital counseling to help bring about a healthy marriage. The woman with the glass of wine that would become two, who would unwind in in that way, began taking pills. She and a church friend are out to lunch. One day her purse falls off the chair the pill, everything in her, 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 her purse falls out. Her church friend begins to help pick up the things that have fallen on the floor and she notices the pills. Church friend begins a conversation about the pills. And over time, the church woman, the, the, the woman taking the pills, she opens up about her alcohol abuse and her uncaring husband. The church friend begins a long process of walking with the woman, praying with her, and ministering God's word to her, she ultimately begins turning not to alcohol or to pills, but to Christ with her struggles. And the church friend helps her friend, helps the woman talk to her husband about meeting her needs. See, that's one another ministry. It's a means of grace that God has given to believers, whereby He can channel grace to us.
But one thing we have to keep in mind, we've got to use them. All too often, we know we're supposed to read God's Word, but we're, we're too busy. We know we're supposed to pray, but we struggle in our praying. We know we're supposed to humble ourselves before God to submit him, to Him in our circumstances, but so often we'd just rather fix the situation as soon as possible and close off a means of grace. We know one another ministry is prescribed in the Bible, but we don't want to appear needy. Don't really know how to ask someone in the church for help or be on the other end. Someone asks you for help and you say, I'm not really sure how to give it. Well, I want to say to you, God has given us these means of grace. Persevere in them. He's given given them to us for a reason. Because He wants His power to be made perfect in our weakness. And when we go to other weak sources of power, is it any wonder that things don't change? Friend, can I encourage you today? Press into God's Word. Pray. Stumble in prayer if you have to. Humble yourself before God. In the hardest of situations, when everything in you is crying out, fix this, fix this, change this. And don't be afraid to ask for help or to go to someone you know needs help. Say, how can I help you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you that he saved us from our sins by by grace through faith. We thank you also, Father, for the grace that is ours through the Holy Spirit, through the means of grace that you have given to us through your word, through prayer, through humbling ourselves, through each other. God, help us to receive what what, what, what Peter wrote for us and to put it into practice. Lord, help us to cast all our anxieties upon you. For we know that you care for us. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing I Surrender All. If there's any kind of decision you'd like to make, or even if you'd like to just come forward for prayer, this is a time for you to do what God's laid upon your heart as we sing together. be seated. A few prayer updates. Um, it was, are they going to have to wait until next week for Addie's um, treatment? Oh, that's what I meant, this coming week. Okay, alright. It was good to see Judge at the ball game the other day. Continue to pray for Judge. Um, there's a couple we need to add to our list. 
Um, Jennifer Stone's a friend. I, I don't know the relation. How, how do you know Jennifer? Okay, good friend of yours, and she lives in Midland. She has ovarian cancer. Okay. Okay. And she's having surgery fairly soon? Yeah. I'm not for sure on this. Okay. 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 All right. So pray for Jennifer Stone. She has this surgery for, um, you said it was endometrial? Yeah. Okay. So complete hysterectomy for her. So pray for her. Uh, continue to pray for um, those that have lost loved ones, the Ann Ellis family, Larry Beatty family. We also need to add one other to our list, Walker Williams. That is um, Nell Foreman's nephew's son. He's newborn, was born with a cord wrapped around his neck, um, and I'm, he must be in NICU. Um, but he just needs lots of prayer. Very, very weak. Um, so, so pray for him. Anyone have any other updates on our prayer list? Make sure you pray for our folks that we're missing today. I know they hated not being here. James kept saying, I'll come, I'll come. I said, no, you won't. You stay home. Wait, I don't want what you have. Nobody else does either. So uh, pray for James and Denise. Um, anything else? All right, well, let's stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. We'll say the Great Commission, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we do thank you uh, for being uh, the God who hears all prayer, uh, that, that we can come to you. And on behalf of all these people, we can say thank you and praise you for the things that you have done uh, in their life that, that show forth your glory and uh, evoke praise from us. We also lift up those, Lord, that, that we know that we can, we can come to you with them because there's no one more... Uh, no one higher, no one more powerful than you, no one more knowledgeable, no one more wise to, to step into their situation and to bring uh, what they need in the time that they need it. We pray for those struggling with cancer, Lord, that you would bring to them uh, more good days than bad days. Lord, if healing um, is possible, we pray that, that you would heal. Lord, if not, we pray that um, as they come to the end of their days that they might... Um, Know that you're walking with them through the valley of the shadow of death and they have nothing to fear. Pray for those that um, have lost loved ones. Uh, pray for Larry Beatty's family, for um, Ann Ellis's family. We also pray for these two that we've added to the list. Pray for Jennifer Stone as her surgery's coming up soon. Pray for Walker Williams, Lord, that you'd bless this young baby with health. And, uh, give the doctors all the wisdom, knowledge they need in order to uh, bring him um, out of the hospital soon. Lord, we love you and we praise you for being the great God that you are. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's say the Great Commission together. And Jesus came and said to them...